Welcome, one and all, to episode uh, 80 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I'm your host for the episode, uh, Brad Wiggy, and with me today is the wonderful team of Kelly Gaines. Say hello, hello Kelly. <laughs> and Kendra Hill. Hello. And Seth Singleton. Why, hello there. Uh, as we are recording this, uh, Comic-Con at Home is going on, so we're hoping everybody's keeping up with all the panels and information uh, coming out of that. Um, and, you know, in the next weeks, we'll, I'm sure we'll have more to report. Uh, but jumping right into our movie news, uh, we learned that the AT&T CEO says he has no plans of skipping theaters with Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, Kelly, what do you think of this? I'm relieved, honestly. Uh, I know it's not necessarily safe yet to go back to theaters, but I'm hoping by October, um, you know, there'll, there'll be something in place where we can actually go to a movie theater and enjoy um, that that kind of community experience of watching a, a film that's going to be as I I mean at this point I'm just assuming that it's going to be awesome I don't know but there's no part of me willing to accept that Wonder Woman 1984 isn't going to be absolutely amazing so yeah I mean I I'm relieved because I think the up in the up in the air that we've been seeing lately with what's going to be on what streaming service what streaming service is going to go away what do we need to buy there, there's something classic about being able to look forward to where whenever it is that I see Wonder Woman 1984, my my rear end will be in a movie theater seat with a safe six feet between me and whoever else is next to me. Maybe. We don't know yet. But as long as they don't have the plan, I think that does give us a little bit of hope. And that's, you know, kind of Wonder Woman's thing. So I'm hopeful this makes me happy. It doesn't make everyone happy, but we'll see. Kendra? I feel like there's still so much time between now and October when Wonder Woman um, is, is set to release. And there's so many different variables about what could happen between now and then. I mean, we could, we could definitely see um, new protocols going into place, different mandates so that we have a safe opening happening. I mean, there's, there's always going to be those who are going to sit on the side of just let it go to video on demand. But, I mean, I kind of see it from both points of view. I mean, the, the, the theaters are suffering because nobody is able to go. I mean, they've, they've been closed probably the longest during this pandemic. And I know that there's, there's a lot of want for people to have that normalcy back in their lives. And, and this would definitely be a way to do that if it could be done safely. So I... I think that the best way to put it is exactly how the article itself does, and we're just going to have to wait to see who's going to blink first. Seth, what about you? It's a challenging, you know, idea about when we think we know things are going to happen and how they actually play out. And right now, the hardest part has been that the biggest thing that's being asked a lot of us is to wait and see. Because when we stop moving around, when we stop giving this disease an opportunity to spread, we have a better chance of trying to understand 
what effect that's having. But so much confusion has been in the air about which states are applying that, how they're applying it, and then how we've seen different reactions. I mean, I live in what's called Alameda County in California, and uh, it encompasses Oakland and a number of other places, uh, including where I live, which is uh, the city of San Leandro now. And we recently recorded the highest uh, COVID-19 count of any county in the state. We were also one of the last to be on the verge of reopening, and we didn't. And it's crazy to think just how bad things could be right now if a few weeks earlier we decided to open up. So that sort of cloud of caution just sort of hovers over, well, it doesn't just, it actually hovers over everything. And while it does, it's hard to see some optimism. I love that there's a desire on the part of the CEO to say, look, I'm well aware of what's happening with other movies. And this article points out that we recently heard about the movie Tenet no longer choosing to plan for a date to open in the U.S., but instead pushing back an indefinite possibility for what it will appear in theaters if it does and looking at what other markets are available. It makes sense financially because at some point they have to put it out there and they have a market that's available that might have better protections. And maybe by October, we will, too. But that's not influencing this decision, which is we have a date in October, which is our most recent change. And that's our target. And it could give a lot of theaters a chance to maybe make their stake then, too. Like, as Kelly pointed out, if you're going to watch this in a seat, um, you want to have that feeling of safety around you. You don't want to be afraid in a movie that's supposed to be giving you hope. That's the purpose of Wonder Woman. So if theaters can find a way to structure those protections or build those protections into their structure, sometimes I just mix up the words the wrong way, uh, then they can give you and us that chance to still experience this in the theaters, even if things aren't perfect but if there's an opportunity for us to maybe consider opening back up again or how we can control how much of the disease is passed in the act of going to movies dining things like that we're still learning a lot but knowing that that could be enough knowledge to allow us to see in the movies in October and holding out that hope. I agree. That's what Wonder Woman stands for. So, or yeah, <laughs> that's what Wonder Woman stands for. And when it, when it comes to that idea, I, I love the fact that you don't know that this is going to be, you know, the best decision, but the reasons that you're acting on it, well, I, I really support those. How about you, Beth? Yeah, it's it's like this big game of chicken, between, you know, between the virus, the movie theaters, and the studios. And unfortunately, we're all on the virus's time. Really, it's it's all to what the virus does. Um, I mean, granted, we have to do our part too. Um, but you know, the the virus doesn't play by by those types of rules. So I, I think that I want to be optimistic, but I, you know, I don't know where I am right now. Things have kind of reopened, uh, but you know, with the way things are in the rest of the country, I'm expecting the other shoe to drop and a total lockdown to go into place any day now. And I would not be surprised. 
Um, so it's just hard to say when we will be at that moment where we can go to the movie theater. But I, I, I want to see Wonder Woman in the movie theater. I don't want to see it on a TV or an iPad. I want to see Tenet in the movie theater, not on a TV or an iPad. So as much as I hate waiting, I'm almost willing to do it if I can have that experience in a movie theater. So, uh, you know, I, at this point, I just hope that we're at a place where that can happen in October. But I think that, you know, there, there is a lot. I think there's a lot riding on Wonder Woman right now, especially since Tenant has gotten moved back um, indefinitely. Uh, this, they, I think that they want this to be the movie that brings people back to the movie theaters. And it can be. It's just a matter of when that happens. I'm just not sure. So... Only only time will tell. And in other news, uh, moving on to the Batman, uh, Colin Farrell has given his feelings on on the script of of the Batman and what's in store. Uh, Kelly, what do you think of this? I I like what he has to say in terms of the fact that this Batman isn't going to be something we've seen before. I think that was something we talked a lot about back when when this movie was originally announced and when it was just speculation that we would like to see DC dive a little bit deeper into their character roster and maybe do some new things they haven't done before and introduce new characters. But these classic characters are still the biggest draw and they're still sort of the characters close to our heart. But at the same time, there have been how, I mean, a dozen Batman movies. So the fact that Farrell is saying that this seems unique and it seems different and it definitely honors the Batman mythos without feeling like it's repetitive of things that have come out before. I, I do really like that idea. Um, and also that he says Pattinson is, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but I liked it because it seems like he's not saying that, oh yeah, like Pattinson is just fun to work with and it's been a fun set but more of that like oh yes he's he's very batman like which i i think i've i've gotten that feel at least personally from the beginning of robert pattinson being cast as batman that he at, at if anything this man can brood and he can see what i mean he's, you make me laugh every time you say that because <laughs> i my, my boyfriend and i actually recently rewatched part of the Twilight series because we just were running out of things to watch during COVID. And it's funny because it's something that I watched back when I was in high school and was into it, watched it when I was in college and was like, this is just the worst thing I've ever seen. And watching it now, I'm like, there are definitely some problems, but uh, okay, whatever. I'll take it. I'll watch it. It kept me from staring into space for an evening. But Robert Pattinson really has that ability to seem serious and restricted and you know even even though he's obviously attractive enough to play this wonderful magical romantic vampire he still has that sort of underlying feel of he's just not that into the hype of himself and I think that will really really work for Bruce Wayne so to see Colin Farrell kind of say like oh yeah he's he's very Batman I, I like that. I, I feel like even though I've been really skeptical about this movie, I like what I hear is taking shape so far. Kendra, what do you think? Uh, when it comes to what Colin Farrell was saying, I think my favorite part of this is that he 
not only like what you said, Kelly, where he says that we're seeing it familiar, but at the same time, very, very unique to, to the Batman universe. And that's going to be something that I hope lives up to that expectation because there's been a lot of different point of views done on Batman. So I'm, I'm interested and intrigued to see what else they can bring to the platform but my favorite part of, of what Colin Farrell said was that we have this, we have the illusion of Bruce Wayne. And then we have Batman in the shadows that has a lot more complicated things going on. And in just that, he, he champions Robert Pattinson for the role. And I have to say that I fully can understand that, that line of thinking. Like you said, he's had this, I don't want to call it a stigma, but it really is where Twilight has kind of foreshadowed any of his working jobs. And this is a chance for him to break free of that in a very public character where all eyes are on him. And I, for Colin to be like, you know what, not only can he relate to the role, but he looks good in the suit. So I'm just like, you know what, I'm more than willing to give Robert Pattinson his turn at bat. And the fact that Colin Farrell is, is not only champion, Camping it, but is excited to do it. It just builds the movie up all the more in my eyes. Seth, what about you? I agree that. Well, one, I agree with Kelly. Yes, the man can brood, right? Like he's already sort of established that for us with his Twilight movies. I can also say I've never seen those movies, but the clips or screenshots or any of those, I'm like, he can brood. You know, the kid's got it. Um, and uh, to go into what you were saying, um, Kendra, with this idea of what it means to to be the person who's trying to portray someone, you pointed to a really valuable quote where he's talking about the idea of we have an illusion when it comes to, you know, who we think Bruce Wayne is or who people in the story think that character is. And then we have the person who is actually doing the work of Batman in the darkness and in the shadows, not not something that can be evaluated by others. What Robert Pattinson has been doing with his life offset before, during and after Twilight is a completely different part of his persona than what the screen is shown. And I loved that a little while back we were having a great conversation about all the doubt and question that went into mind when it was like Michael Keaton as Batman, Mr. Mom, the funny guy. Wasn't he in Gung Ho? Like, hold on a second. How is this going to be? And yet, Batman 89 is so iconic. We reference it now um, by the year, by the portrayal, by the powerful example. And the way we saw a Bruce Wayne who was quirky, who, you know, recognized the ability to use that quirkiness to hide what he was really doing as Batman and how each interpretation. And, and this is what I, I also really loved about this story was the fact that when Colin Farrell is referencing what's going on, he's talking about how the things that informed this gave birth to the history that came before. And also that this script is something that feels original because it leans into what's already been established without borrowing from it. Those are really important things there. They're, they're talking about this idea of interpretation, which if you're trying to give birth to a new creation, wh whatever that sort of idea might be, you're, you're using what you interpret and then creating it. And if you're basing it on all these sound elements in the history and you do this with an authenticity, then your viewpoint alone is going to change how we see things. And because of that, we will get a new and original Batman, a new and original P 
Penguin and new takes on Gotham and the people who make it up. So those are all great things that I can take away from this. And I'm not the biggest Colin Farrell fan. I just someone once put on the SWAT movie and I was just so annoyed afterwards. I, I liked him actually in Bruges. I thought he was pretty actually good. But other than that, I was like, they, he doesn't give me a reason to go watch movies. But hearing what he has to say, I now want to see more about his penguin. And between that and what he says about Pattinson and Batman, I'm I'm overall like really pleased with what this article says to me, not only about Batman, but or the Batman, but my reservations that I hadn't really admitted to when it came to Colin Farrell as Penguin. Brad, how about you? I think that as far as Pattinson goes, um, I, I think that. I'm going to hold off on what anybody says until I actually see it on screen. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic uh, about his performance and what he can do. And I think that I still think that it's going to surprise us, but uh, we'll see. So I'll take Colin Farrell's remarks about that with a grain of salt. But what I like about what he said, um, what intrigued me most is that he, he views it as an original Batman story. And, that intrigues me because that's kind of hard to do in a way because we've seen so many different versions of Batman before. Uh, and like I said, how many times do we have to see the pearls breaking and falling to the ground um, with the origin story? Um, so the fact that he can read that script and think that this is original and something we haven't seen before, that that really intrigues me and makes me wonder what we're what we're going to get. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm still excited and uh, very hopeful that this is going to be a pretty cool and surprising version of Batman. And and I always think that the, the Penguin as a character doesn't get its due when it comes to live action. I think that there are ways to interpret it that aren't necessarily confined to the physical attributes of the character. And I think for that reason, I think Colin Farrell's a, a, a good choice to play the Penguin because I think he's going to bring bring him to life in a way that we haven't seen. So that part will definitely be original. And moving on to our TV and streaming news, uh, we got a little clip of the newest uh, Stargirl episode. And it looks like Courtney is going to finally meet her father, but it might not be who we think. Uh, Kelly, what do you think of this? I've been enjoying Stargirl so much. And this sort of open-ended question of who is her father, it, I mean, it's been driving me nuts. I know how it plays out in the comics, but I mean, it, we're, we're seeing in this article that it's not Starman, even though so far almost everything is pointed to it's Starman. So there, there's this open kind of okay so then who is it what does she have to do with this why did she then become star girl i i like the mystery and i i like this kind of teen angst that we see in her where it's not necessarily to the teen angst that we'd see in titans but it's this very steady she's not exactly sure how she plays into into the world or into her powers or into everything that's going on but knowing who her father is is going to answer this key piece of it. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to see the episode. I am not fully caught up yet, but I'm about an episode or two behind. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Kendra? Um, 
I mean, with this one, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm not fully caught up on Star Girl, but I do know um, the the lore behind her dad. Um, and I'm I'm finding it really interesting to see which route they're going to take with it in this next episode because they can go several different ways. But I'm I'm more curious to see if they're going to keep up the criminal aspect of her father or are they going to actually put her in a situation where she's going to have to be okay and make peace with the fact that her dad doesn't have any kind of powers, which is going to open a whole other slew of doors. So either way, I mean, I'm just excited that they're, they're bringing, bringing that question there and that there might be a change in, in the canon for Courtney. Seth, what about you? I'm also really curious to see how they're going to play this out because so much of the show's premise has been on Courtney seeing the cosmic staff as her birthright, right? It's, it's something that only she can unlock. And she believes it's because she's the daughter of Starman who just happened to disappear on the same night that her dad also never appeared and was never seen again after in her mind on that Christmas and, and how that happened. Now, what that means for someone when they think they know who their father is and and what that stands for and and how that um, in turn defines them or causes them to see themselves is really important because what we're getting from this story is the revelation that uh, her dad wasn't a hero, that he was a criminal, you know, that he was with the Royal Flush Gang as two of clubs, which is just maybe not the coolest name to have. Don't get me wrong. If you love the Royal Flush Gang, I'm not trying to smack them around or anything. But, you know, it, it might be kind of hard, t- tough prison talk like, yeah, I'm two of clubs. You're the what? So um, how that informs Courtney and whether or not we see her change any of her beliefs, which could happen based on the uh, trailer that we got a chance to peek at where she's like, look, I, I was putting you all in danger because of what I believed and what I believed. It's it's what I interpreted based on what I saw, not based on what I knew. Now, we've had hints of this uh, recently in the show, and I don't want to spoil that for Kelly or Kendra, who aren't caught up. I recently was like three episodes behind and finally did and now just like charging along. But uh, I'm also intrigued by the fact that you can go so many different directions with a character with information like this. I know Jeff Johns and the writers he's had working on the show have some amazing talent that I've seen at work so far. So I I have full faith and I'm just curious to see what the direction of this journey is. And then with the trailer, man, Dragon King and we got a Sir Justin moment. Like I, I was, I was pretty excited for what those things can mean as well. I think it's important though, because what also catches my attention is I remember this being a big conversation recently in the Star Wars films and, you know, whether or not a character is or isn't a Skywalker and what it means to have legacy when it comes to the Force. Well, what does it mean to have legacy when it comes to powers or to be considered uh, worthy of accessing and using the staff? If it's not about genes, if it's not about blood, well, then it's about something more. And that can be a great definition for Courtney to start shaping what I hope is her next steps as a young hero finding her way. And hopefully we'll also get a chance to see where her young JSA can be that great support that she's going to need between that and her family. And 
Man, I mean, when you're talking about the Injustice Society, I'd say get all the allies you can. Brad, how about you? Yeah, I think this is yeah going to be a big moment for Courtney because, you know, like you were saying, she's going to have to find uh, dig deep and find other reasons to fight than just being her birthright, taking that in a sense that she had to. Uh, it's going to be a whole nother level of what she's fighting for and why. And I think that's going to be some interesting storytelling. And I kind of hope that they kind of follow uh, in the comics and we can see a royal flesh gang on this show because I think that I think that that could kind of work pretty cool on on, on this show to have a version of the royal flesh gang that she has to fight. I don't know if they'd be like a big bad for a season or not, but um, it'd be good for a few episode arc, I think. Um, you know, and these days where s- these more obscure characters are getting a spotlight, I think that would be a, a good opportunity uh, for those characters. So, so we'll see. But um, yeah, if you're not watching the show, you should, you really should. It's, it's, it's really good. And that wraps up our TV and streaming news. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Buck, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. 
Oh, look, Gogurt. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not f**k bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f**k with Lois Lane. For f**k's sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents... Mad Love. The Harley Quinn Past. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. And welcome back to episode uh, 80 of the DC Comics News Podcast. We've talked movie, TV, and streaming news, and now we are going to move on and talk some comics uh, with me and my amazing co-host, Kelly Gaines, Kendra Hale, and Seth Singleton. So we learned that uh, DC's next Big story is going to be titled Endless Winter. Kelly, what do you think? I This is really exciting. I like the title. It kind of had me thinking back to like the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But in any case, that would kind of be a really cool angle for them to take. Although what's interesting is we don't know anything else really besides the title. Um, you know, there's kind of speculation that this might be the next step from Dark Knight's Metal. Uh, This could just be some other big catastrophic event, but Endless Winter sounds really, really cool. And there's just a little part of me that's hoping that Mr. Freeze is involved somehow. I don't know if that's feasible, but I I mean, it's Endless Winter. It has to be. Um, Yeah, the kind of title art that we see here, which again, doesn't give us a lot, still is really cool. And I don't know. I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think this could possibly entail because it, it's just so open-ended right now. Kendra, what do you think? I'm in the same boat. I mean, I kind of, when I think Endless Winter, the first thing that my brain goes to is is Mr. Freeze. But to play a little bit of devil's advocate, the article does bring up that there is an actual character in DC's history who goes by the name Endless Winter. And her real name is Dolores Winters and she has moisture and temperature manipulation powers. So that could be the way it goes, or we could possibly see a team mystic, you know, team up and get not only Mr. Freeze, but this lovely character, which we would get to see come back. And maybe they're going to throw in, you know, Captain Cold from the Flash's universe. And maybe it's, it's literally just going to be a team up of everyone who has either water or ice powers who are determined to make the world nothing but an ice ball. So, I mean, it's up in the air. Everything is speculation. Seth, what about you? I'm all over the place with this one. And you guys are not helping. It's like gasoline on a fire here. And I love you for not helping because sometimes it's just like, well, let's just burn some stuff and see what happens. Uh, (laughs) Keeping that all in mind, right? (laughs) Like there's that part of me that's like, sure. Yeah. Okay. Endless winter. Wow. Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Good point, Kelly. Yeah, I definitely do see that. Kendra, yeah, I'm with you and Kelly on, yeah, Mr. Freeze. But we do get the hint of a Dolores Winter. We do get the hint of a Endless Winter and a character all the way from the 40s, which 
would be sort of in the wheelhouse of DC's approach recently. I mean, if you look at uh, the decision to base Leviathan and the, the character wearing the costume about uh, an older character who hadn't really been around, but had worn the Manhunter armor and along the way had developed his own ideas about how the world should go. It, it seems like there's a, a, a recognition that some of these characters who haven't appeared in a long time have an opportunity to play a new role. But then I'm also in my own head thinking like, all right, so what was always the big threat when I was a kid, which was we were still kind of in a, a nuclear standoff um, with, uh, well, mostly with the Soviet Union at the time. But there was always that fear of if anybody who had a bomb let it off, that the follow up would be a, a nuclear winner. Right. So if um, if we're considering considering that idea, like what could happen at the end of death metal that would be like an explosion, something that would cause a winter or how could Miss Winters, Dolores Winters, play a role in sort of bringing about the end, however it, it turns out? Or am I just casting about wildly and death metal ends in its own way? But I don't know. There seems like there should be, you know, a, a, a cause and effect idea going on. Death metal is going to end and it's going to lead to something. So that's that's where it goes. But then I like the ideas you bring up, you know, uh, Winters and also a team up with Freeze. And, well, Brad's going to tell me even more and it could get worse. Brad, how about you? Uh, I... I think that it would be i'd be hard-pressed to say that that um dolores winters wouldn't play a part in some way i think that that's definitely going to happen but i think as far as what lies ahead for the story i don't think we're really going to know until uh death metal is over i think that once we see how that ends up i think that that endless winter title might make a lot more sense um because i i I just think that death metal is too big of an event to not have effects afterwards like the first one did. So I have a feeling we'll know more as we get more into uh, death metal. So we'll see. But I'm, I mean, I, DC has been really good with their events. So I'm looking forward to see what, what it might all mean. And hopefully, you know, with fandom coming up, hopefully we'll learn more then. So we'll see. We'll see. But I think it's going to be um, an interesting story no matter what. And we also got our first preview of Batman 3 Jokers, and it looks like it teases the death of one of the Jokers. Uh, Kelly, what did you think of this? Oh, this looks... I I mean, apart from the art being stunning, this looks really, really interesting. Um, I mean, from what I got out of it is that it seems like Batgirl has a little bit of a, a... darkness and a grudge to settle which makes perfect sense considering the events of the killing joke um and but we talked about this last week that barbara gordon is a very specific kind of presence in the dc universe that she has this ability to overcome things and optimism and is just genuinely a really good really lovable character so to see what those panels kind of flash too and it does look like one of the jokers dies 
and we see a really pissed off Batgirl right beforehand. I don't know. I mean, it, it makes sense to me, especially the killing joke has had such a monumental effect on the way we look at Batgirl, the way we look at Barbara Gordon and the role that she's played in the DC universe since. So to see her kind of lash out in a dark way um, against the Joker, it's on one hand, it may seem a little bit against her character. Um, You know, it's sad to a point, but it's, it's also kind of, sweet sweet revenge in a way there's there's a little bit of me that would be like okay Barbara you can have this one that makes sense um but yeah this looks awesome and all of my my rambling might not mean anything because this teaser might not really be telling us even part of the real story so I don't know Kendra what do you think I think they're just trying to get my money this year I mean my gosh (laughs) First, we have, you know, all of the stuff that's hitting in October and then this beautiful thing that features not only Jeff Johns doing the writing, but Jason Babbick. I mean, we're to Bob. I apologize for the messing up of your name. Please forgive me. But your artwork is stunning. I mean, it's jaw dropping. <laughs> it's haunting. So I do it all the time. <laughs> but I mean, the, the artwork tease that we get is haunting. I mean, it absolutely stops you. As, as you watch this all unfold and you get to see, I mean, basically the guys, the Red Hood version of Joker's getting this, like, armored battalion that's leading him to this hospital. I mean, you've got the Batmobile in front, Barbara Gordon sitting there right beside him. I mean, it's, it's absolutely stunning. I cannot wait to see what these guys come up with because this one, this one has been on the tip of almost everyone's tongue since it hit. You know, not only are we going to get to see more about the Jokers themselves and why there are three of them, but we also get a, a fantastic storyteller, someone who has made his name in telling some of the greatest stories that DC has, and an artist who has given us some of the most poignant scenes that Batman has. I mean, there's it's a win-win regardless. Seth, what about you? Well, Jeff Johns... For all the frustrations he was causing me from like 2018 to 2019 with different delays that were going on, either with Doomsday Clock or uh, Shazam or Stargirl, whatever those complaints were at the time or concerns have been assuaged by everything that's come from him since. When Doomsday Clock finally finished, I was like, wow, that was pretty gorgeous, man. Thank you. Like, I'm... And then Shazam came back and I thought, okay, you're winning me back because this is such a fun story and I love this character. And then Stargirl. And I was like, how many times do I have to forgive you, man? Like, I'm fine with it. I'm just fine with it. There's been a lot of, you know, delays with three Jokers. There's been teasings and mentions. And what I'm seeing in these images are, okay, I no longer will doubt you. I'll no longer even question if you put a delay into play. If you choose to do that, Jeff, you will you will be immediately just thought of only in, I know whatever you're doing will make it better. <laughs> and that's, that's something I can really hang my hat on because, you know, gorgeous, stunning cover. I, I, I love the images we get inside. And I love ah, just they capture some really poignant moments, whether it's the scars all over Batman's back, whether it's the just gorgeous and creepy fight scene of, you know, Red Hood, Jason Todd in a cemetery and then suddenly losing his, his, you know, 
Red Hood, uh, <laughs> followed up by that that scene with the Joker in an ambulance. Did he die? How did he die? Who's grabbing him by the neck? Because that's not Barbara. And also just the recent events in Batgirl with Barbara and Joker. I mean, man, I, she is a just so smart, so fearless and so resourceful that seeing her in this story and considering all the parts she gets to play, it it's hard not to get more excited. Um, but then you'll look at these images and you'll agree with me. It just, you know, starts happening. How about you, Brett? Uh, yeah, I I agree that we've had a lot, and we talked a lot on this podcast specifically about Jeff Johns and all the delays, but man, have they been worth the wait. Um, and between, like you're saying, Stargirl and Doomsday Clock, um, and I, there's no reason to believe that Three Jokers won't be the same way, and this art is just as beautiful and stunning as the art that was in Doomsday Clock. So I I definitely think that this is going to be just as good as all those. And as, as big fan as I am as these, about the big events that happen in the DC universe, uh, things like you know, Death Metal and whatever Endless Winter turns out to be, um, I'm loving how DC is doing those events. But this is, the, this is one story that's a self-contained story that i'm so so excited for and uh every one of those things where every bit of news or art that leaks or i hear about it just makes me more excited so yeah i think that that um like kendra said just take my money because i'll definitely be picking this up (laughs) for sure and uh kind of speaking of dc black label um we learned that Rorschach is coming back uh, as a in a 12-issue series written by Tom King. Uh, and there's kind of um, three stories that have come out about this that we can kind of uh, talk about uh, at once. Uh, it looks that Batman might play a major role in the series, which could be very interesting. And in... The real world, it looks uh, like Tom King and, and Jay Lee have squashed a beef because Tom King thought that uh, Jay Lee was part of the Comics Gate movement. And he had done a, uh alternative cover for uh, Rorschach issue one. So looks like looks like that beef has been squashed. So, Kelly, what do you think of all this? I'm really excited for this title. And uh, I mean, it's funny because last week we had this big conversation um about what we do as comic fans and as general consumers when something comes out about a creator that paints them in a bad light or that shows that they might not have the best values um so it's kind of interesting to see tom king get upset that jay lee was doing a variant cover for rorschach and then for him to find out that, no, he's actually not related to the comic skate scandal at all, that he's, uh, you know, isn't on Twitter, that he wasn't actively even aware that that was a thing. Um, and to see that resolved, because I really do feel for Tom King in this sense, that he's creating a book that is going to be political. It's coming from a more of an angry place. 
and exploring some facets of our society right now that maybe aren't the prettiest to look at. Um, so I, I can totally understand his initial outrage at thinking, well, they, but they hired someone to draw a cover for this book who is directly against a lot of the the values that Tom King seems to stand for. Um, and then for him to have that that humility to step back and say, okay, I got it wrong. This guy is not what I thought he was. Um, you know, my bad, basically. And it, it does say something to the fact that it, sometimes we kind of chomp at the bit before we see the whole picture of what's going on. Um, but as far as the whole Rorschach book, I mean, it's what I see right now looks gorgeous. And I am really excited to see what exactly Tom King's going to do, because I, I think I've been a fan of him relatively recently, but from the Mr. Miracle book. Um, and so to see this kind of play out and see what his take is, not only on the Watchmen universe and this kind of post-Watchmen, what are we doing currently in, in our society and politically, um, but then to have all of the the kind of chaotic hodgepodge of what it is that's been going on in 2020 show up in this book defined through the legacy of a character like Rorschach is really interesting. Um, and I'm also, I, I think it said something about him having kind of this female counterpart, which is another really strange and exciting facet to this. Because I, I just think there's a very specific image that goes with Rorschach. And I mean, he's he doesn't seem to like women very much in Watchmen. And even though this isn't the same character, to see what how this plays out in somebody else will be very, very poignant, I think. Um, but I, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm really happy that Tom King's the type of, of creator who will not only stand his ground on what he values, but stand up later and back down if he realizes that he's gotten something wrong. I, th I think that's sort of the type of person that we all have to be, um, especially when you're able to speak to a, a larger public audience to be able to say, all right, I made a mistake there. Um, yeah, so I I am definitely excited for this title. Kendra? I'm not going to lie. I'm disappointed that it's not a continuation like what we discussed last week, where we get to see why and how Rorschach came back to life 35 years later. But that being said, and that disappointment pushed to the side... This one is going to be pretty important, at least that's that's my feeling on it, because it's going to potentially be the connecting between Doomsday Clock and the HBO series. And the fact that they're featuring heavily on the fact that this is a very angry, angry work means that this is going to be one that's going to cross some lines with with several different readers and it's going to make people think. And for me, those are the best comics on the market because it makes you feel viscerally what the artist, what the writer, what everyone who is on the team wants you to feel as you're reading it. Like that's the whole point is they want to draw that feeling out of you as a reader. So I'm very curious to see they're saying not only is it political, but it's also going to be angry. I want to see what mirror it is going to be to what we're going through now in the world and have been going through in the world and how much of it is just a mirror reflection 
So for me, I'm I'm excited. I mean, Washington has always been one of those where they didn't tiptoe the line, and I really hope that with the writer that King is, we're going to continue to see that. Seth, what about you? Well, there's so much that's in here that's really interesting to talk about. Whether it's uh, just the fact that we now have you know a new cover image to look at, the uh, revelation that some of what we thought you know isn't happening, but more of what we've been told is going to, you know, occur, which is two characters trying to assassinate the president and the inspiration that Rorschach was to them and how that plays into this story is, is, <laughs> is something that, you know, it, it's so important as Kelly pointed out with the idea of the politics. And I, I love that this is something Tom King's aware of. I mean, I, I'll never fully understand what he did when he was working uh, for the government, when he was involved in the different ways that he could sort of analyze the world and the works that he's turned out since then. I mean, uh, I've been a fan for some time now, and I've enjoyed discovering some of his earlier stuff like Sheriff of Babylon, in which he is showing this layer of events that are occurring that seem disparate and then the more you learn the closer the connections are so how you can also then view the world we live in and all these different connections you have to be aware of how that led to a public response and then that sort of just like uh reassuring understanding of what's a twitter <laughs> you know what's what no um the person <laughs> that you're considering didn't even know that there was this platform or that anything about them was being conveyed to suggest their support or implied inferred or anything else. So yeah, thank you for agreeing. Cause I was like, Oh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> like he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I honestly don't. What, what are you talking about? And I, I love that that's the best possible outcome. And I also really appreciate the fact that it's such uh, a vocal, Hey, found out I was totally, you know, in the wrong because the person I was concerned about doesn't even know about the, the subject that we're discussing. So keeping all of that in mind, you know, there's nothing to be concerned about and I no longer have the concerns that I raised. That's great news. I love the, the stuff that we're talking about with the idea of, you know, basically it's the detective you think it is, but we won't actually say it's Batman, especially given Tom King's run on Batman and what he's doing with Batman Catwoman. Um, and how much of that can inform this work, how much of that he can continue to, you know, keep these ideas of kite man of all of these other great characters and their mythologies and how they inform the Batman we saw through his run. Now, as he's investigating this story of Rorschach and, what that's going to be like as well, to have that kind of a mind that's at many times questioned what it is he's doing, the value of it versus the uh, consequences of it. So that makes for some really great threads that we can enjoy and also sort of experience this recognition that it's taking place in a political world with fictional characters who represent different ideologies that are great to play against and the other seedling that really caught my attention was the fact that this new character who's arriving, she's brand new, never appeared anywhere else before. So this is our first introduction, and yet that's not going to diminish her role. In fact, King makes a point of saying she's going to be really important for the stories that are coming forward. So 
there are so many great elements to talk about when it comes to this title. And it's, it's really interesting that there's a social media sort of uh, skirmish that dissipates because it's not as much uh, of import to the story that we're talking about when it comes to this character and the characters who will be part of that story and the writer telling them. There's a, a lot of great stuff to enjoy, plus a couple of sneak peek images. And that cover is really cool. <laughs> How about you, Beth? Yeah. Uh, my first reaction is that um, I, I, I do think it'll be a good series because I think that DC takes these Watchmen characters very seriously. They understand the importance that these characters have had and the original story has had to the medium as a whole. So they don't just use them willy nilly. Um, yeah. Even if you didn't like before Watchmen, the creative teams they got for those books were pretty impressive. Uh, and if anybody can handle the writing on a Rorschach book, it is, uh, it is Tom King. So, I can't wait to see what he does with it. I I recently uh, finished up um, Mr. Miracle and absolutely loved it. And uh, I, I think such a gorgeous do, book. Yeah, I think he'll just do uh, an amazing job. Um, and, and I and I really like the way because I've also been catching up on um, his run on Batman on Rebirth and the way he can find those little phrases that just stick. Dark side is kite man. Hell yeah. And I just got Batman kills that, babies. Yeah. Like I just hope that there's something that he can bring up like that with Rorschach in just that same kind of way, because Alan Moore used things like movie quotes or, or music quotes, I mean, and things like that. And just, I, I think the Tom King could have a lot of fun with that. I can't wait to see what he does. Uh, and as far as the Jay Lee thing, I, I find it interesting that it's kind of he's saying that this is going to be an angry book. And I think that we are an angry country right now for a lot of reasons. And we do have uh, a tendency for knee jerk reactions out of anger. And I think that kind of and frustration. And I think that that's what he had when he thought that Jay Lee was part of this movement. It was just this like quick anger thing that just. Ugh. And the fact that that's kind of brought into that book, I think it's just a, it's an interesting parallel between uh, fact and fiction, you know. So um, and I think that it also kind of shows that this is going to be a timely book. Um, and I think that that's in, in possible for it not to be um, these days. So, uh, yeah, I think this is this is going to be. Uh, a book with a lot to say and as far as the batman thing um yeah i kind of see how tom king brings bruce wayne into it i think that'll be uh a fun to see i'm just not sure how he would do it um but yeah yeah i think uh that'll be a cool little attribute of the story uh as well and moving on um artist uh and i might butcher this name uh Mikkel Janin has said that uh Wonder Woman uh, this run on Wonder Woman shows how we fail and how we can be better uh Kelly what do you think of this I really enjoyed this interview um I think it shows how 
how much thought has gone into this new team coming to Wonder Woman. Um, and I think my favorite quote was he, he says that, you know, Wonder Woman's this character with ridiculous power and so much strength and, and she's so prominent and yet she's so human. Um, and it, for them to come to that point already, it, it to me represents that they're going to do a really good job of carrying on this title. Um, I know personally one of the moments in, I, I think it was volume two of the Wonder Woman Rebirth books, when she first comes to, you know, the, the world of men and she's first meeting people outside of Themyscira, there's this moment where people are surrounding her, they're taking pictures, they're yelling things at her, and she puts her arms up in that kind of classic Wonder Woman defense stance. But it's sort of zoomed in on her face and her her eyes and her expression is just terrified. And so she's standing there, this gigantic woman with her arms in front of her looking absolutely terrifying. But when you look at her face, she's nervous and afraid and confused. And that's part of what makes Wonder Woman such a good character is that she has this level of humanity that, you know, yes, you're seeing someone with power that no ordinary person could ever hope to have and with strength that no one no ordinary person could ever hope to to display but she her emotions are so grounded in genuine human emotion um and that that's something that has followed her character for decades now um and i i mean certainly there have been runs where we've kind of lost that that thread of diana but at, at her core she's still just a a person trying to do the best that she can in the world and trying to use the gifts that she has to make the world a better place. Um, So this makes me really excited for this continuation because not only is the artwork beautiful, but this creative team has a solid grasp on who Wonder Woman is. Um, And part of what he talked about in, in the interview in this article is that probably because of COVID, they've had extra time to work on this. So they've they've had time to do, you know, an in-depth character study and they've had time to really dive into who she is. Um, and to me, that is really, really important because I think Wonder Woman is one of those books that regardless of the times or regardless of the decades, it, it's always there. Um, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman are are the characters that have been able to survive every turn of the comic book industry. And uh, Wonder Woman being the only female character in that, that makes her especially important for her message to come across clearly, for her to be written with a lot of attention and a lot of care. Um, and everything that I've read in this interview tells me that they are absolutely doing that. Um so yeah, I'm I'm excited, I'm happy, and I I really do want to see where they go next with her. Kendra? Um I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this name too. I believe it's 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 Mikel Janine, but I could be saying that wrong and it could be Michael. I mean but what I love most about this interview and and the interview that we recently did with Scott Snyder is that both of these these creative talents are showing us that they understand just who these characters are that they are working with. And to see that, I mean, it it just automatically, for me as a reader, makes me want to see more of what they can do with these characters because they're willing to invest the time in finding out who they are at their core. Um, I mean, Kelly, you brought up the fact that he 
he was able to see that yes, while she's this this almost godlike creature at, at her core, she's human, and that's what's always made her so relatable in in her comic series and and in any iteration of her in the DC animated universe, even into Gail Godot playing her in the Wonder Woman movies. It's she's she's very in tune with the human side, and I love that about her. And for somebody else to see that who's actively working on the character makes it that much more of, of a tease to want to see what he's what he's doing with her. My favorite part of the interview was the fact that not only does he say that there's a bunny, but there's a bunny. You get to see the artwork in the article of him drawing a bunny. And I'm telling y'all, he's fluffy and he's cute. And I love it. I, I For somebody to be able to be like, yes, I'm working on Wonder Woman, but there's also a bunny. You've got me on like every platform. But one of the big things for it when when it comes to to the to this specific interview is he gets to because I'm gonna butcher it again, Mikel has worked on both Batman and had a, a wonderful run art wise on Batman, but now he's also working on Wonder Woman. And the interviewer talks about what the similarities and the differences are between that. And instead of, of kind of breaking it down, I love that he postures instead that, you know, these the, the Trinity has always been the Trinity. You've always had Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. You've got your Boy Scout, you've got your detective, and then you've got basically the, the Amazon with the heart of gold. And I love that when he actually tries to compare them, it's really the same because of any of the characters that DC has, these are the ones that you watch when they fall. Because when they fall, you want to see how they're going to get back up and how they get back up. And that those those types of storylines have always been the most meaningful for me as a reader. So I'm fully looking forward not only to the bunny, but also to what he has done in in the time that he's had to work with this this team on Wonder Woman. Seth, what about you? I want the bunny, too. I like the bunny. I love the Thank picture. You. He you. is cute and fluffy. And I just want to hold him and snuggle and nuzzle and then wait till he falls asleep because that's when animals are that they're absolute cutest when they're totally disarmed, totally just like, <laughs> I mean, I, like I say at the end of a lot of these episodes, go check out my dogs on Instagram. They're adorable. Trust me, when they're sleeping, they're just completely precious. It's that's why I have so many pictures of them. I know this. It could be. It could be a concern, but we can come back to that at another time and place. Uh, when it comes to this story, what you mentioned um, just now, Kendra, is really important. You know, the idea of what the Trinity means and how well that um, Michele Jan and uh, man, I probably just ruined that, too. Uh, how well he uh, interprets that he can see that Batman is all about the shadows and that Wonder Woman is just this bright burning light. But I also loved how he mentioned that they're both these like very idealized godlike people that um, have, as he puts it, they inhabit a universe that has a foot in the real world and the other one in fantasy. And, and what that means for those around them who have to sort of like adjust to the fact that this is a person, this is a person who can do amazing things. Oh, yeah. And they also happen to have like relationships with fantastical beings that the rest of us can't relate to. Um, and the way that he sort of hints at the fact that not only do we have an old enemy like Max Lord, who we've already mentioned uh, in recent episodes, but there's also the announcement that there's a new character that 
can't really be spoken about, but who could be playing a, a really fun um, part in this story. One that we can maybe sort of view Diana's actions and her hopes, because I also loved how he mentioned that there's something just so immensely powerful about how powerful she is and how balanced it is by her humanity and how also those can be challenges. You know, so many of her strengths, like her compassion and humanity have been, you know, manipulated or abused or taken advantage of by others. And it's been some painful lessons learned, but despite all that, She's an example of how we can experience those things and still be the person we want to be and strive to be. And the one thing about Diana, she never gives up striving. So I love that hope and optimism. Brad, how about you? Yeah, there uh, there is a reason why that Trinity has lasted so long and why these are the characters that um, we all put on those those pedestals and uh there is something so moral and righteous about diana uh and and judging by this interview that they understand that and they're going to hone in on that and use that and this art there is just something you know something so alive and something so soulful about the way that uh, Diana is drawn. Maybe it's in the eyes, but there's just, you know, you're talking about the bunny, but there's that picture of her looking at the rabbit, and there's just so much soul in that picture of her face. <laughs> so just There's just so much life in it. And the same with that picture of her face in the middle of that kind of like uh, montage scene of the fighting that's behind her, and there's that star that her her faces in and there's so much determination and drive in that picture like i think that judging by that he's the the perfect artist to capture what is so so special about this character and what people respond to and yeah i think that this is going to be um yeah it, it makes me very very excited for this for this run and moving on to some other uh, news, uh, McFarland Toys has announced a new line of DC Multiverse uh, figures, and these look uh, pretty cool. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, these look awesome. Um, those those little Robins, wow, that is. I I know I've been collecting action figures lately and trying to kind of have the the broadest collection I can, but I feel like I'll skip those on the grounds that those look like the type of toys that will come to life and destroy me in the middle of the night. And it it kind of reminds me of the fear. I don't know if you guys ever experienced this when you take a battery out of a Furby and it keeps talking like that's what these Robins brought back for me. Um, I, I, I love the way these look. Um, and I think the one thing I've learned just through my kind of crash course in, in collecting action figures is McFarlane's toys are on a different scale than than the rest of um, kind of the, the standard superhero action figure. Most of them are around six, six and a half inches. McFarlane's toys are just a little bit bigger. Um, so they, they don't kind of fit in the, if you're going to make a, 
you know, a scene or a stop motion or something, they're a little bit off scale, which means that were I to get them and include them in the rest of my collection, they would be a little bit bigger than than my Batman, most likely, which makes these terrifying Robins even scarier. But artistically, they are beautiful to look at. And I really like, um, I think that that's Deathstroke in the one picture. I mean, these just look gorgeous. So I will definitely be getting some of them, but probably not the Robins. Kendra, what do you think? I think that Todd McFarlane has a direct line to my husband and I. Because he has been putting out <laughs> figures that we have not been able yet to say no to. I keep waiting for the one that I'm just going to be like, no. But it doesn't happen. And these are another huge, <laughs> huge example of why. I mean, not, on, not only are they beautiful... And you also get this really cool build-a-figure, which basically means that you get a piece of, of a figure in each one that you buy, and you have to buy more in order to get all of the pieces. But, I mean, his work is just, it's, the attention to detail is ridiculous. I mean, like you said, Kelly, the, the Robins really do look like what the personification of a Furby without batteries would be. It's like <laughs> seeing, you know, it, it, it's like putting, you know, I don't even have a good I don't even have a good analogy for it. They're creepy. But they're awesome. I mean, they are absolutely in every way terrifying. It's not something that you want to be coming out into your living room or to your curio cabinet or a shelf, wherever you feature your figures in the middle of the night <laughs> and bumping into one of these and being like, Whoo, anxiety attack, heart attack. That's that's that's, that's what they're they not where you left them. <laughs> right. Like this guy's gonna be small soldier and like moving along, talking on their own, some kind of military chip in their voice box, creep level. But they're beautiful. And I know from my household, Todd McFarlane, just take my money. Just just take it. Seth. It's called the white flag. You put it up in the air, you start waving around, you just hope for mercy, right? I mean, you just go ahead and at some point say, here's my credit card. And I, I just ask you not to enslave me with some sort of like horrible fee or, you know, trap me in some sort of dungeon. And the only way out is to just keep buying more to toys and swallowing and drowning in debt, right? Like it's, That's what the it's sort of, are I'm calling it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm, Come to life. Exactly. As soon as you start missing payments or you stop buying, dunzo. These cats are coming for you. And it, it's kind of scary and creepy. But there's a brilliance to the quality of something that's a toy that evokes that sort of creepiness. And McFarlane clearly knows what he's doing with not only those, but I mean, the Flashpoint Batman who just looks so pissed off. Like, just give me a reason to come to life and shoot you. To just, you know. And you, um, which is just, you know, pretty powerful. Uh, I also think that I have rarely seen a more impressively detailed portrayal of Batman and Deathstroke suits side by side in that one image. I mean, really impressive. Um, now, granted, the build a fig thing is clearly a way to make sure that once you have the addiction, you simply cannot refuse because buy all the pieces, assemble the merciless, you know, 
it's 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 a it's an all-in sort of situation those are some really creepy looking robins they will come to life we've already explained what they'll do when they do but look at the pictures and you're gonna understand why not only that but in the comics at least one of them turns into shazam so just keep that in mind like just keep your current mythology in mind when it comes to the robins there's just you know factors to play into they're they're really gorgeous and i'm also curious if maybe there might be a deal in the way that they've got the two packs with the flash versus red death and nightwing versus red hood i was kind of wondering if that might be uh an option and if it can in some way save your wallet or if it just doubles the damage and you suffer in the process thankfully um i have a wife who is really clear about when something isn't happening so should i find myself in any sort of murky territory all i have to do is say yeah i was thinking of filling up the space we have with these and don't worry the truth will come out brad how about you (laughs) yeah i uh man i i don't um i don't collect toys but if i did i think the mcfarland toys would be on my number one must-have list the action figures yes 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 let's not start a blood feud here folks <laughs> sorry to offend but man no, the, the detail on that death stroke is just absolutely beautiful um these toys were or, i'm sorry action figures these action figures were what I dreamed about when I was actually collecting action figures. I wanted something this detailed and um, just, I mean, it's just incredible. So hats off to the team who who sculpted these. It's just an amazing job. And I kind of like living vicariously through you guys that collect toys. Um, just seeing your enthusiasm for it is really is really cool. And yeah, those those robins are pretty uh, pretty frightening. But man, yeah, they they knock these all out of the park. But especially that duststroke. The duststroke is my uh, is my favorite. And the last story of this episode, uh, Mondo, and I think we talked about them uh, a few episodes ago. They have revealed. Uh, a new poster for Two-Face from the Batman the Animated Series for the Comic-Con at home that's going on right now. Uh, Kelly, what would you think of this? Where were these when my last roommate and I were planning our home decor? Because these would have been right over the mantle, like those classic kind of side portrait mom and pop pictures. This would have been what was on that wall. Um, I, I love these. I love anything that goes back to Batman the Animated Series. And I feel like it should have been done by now, that kind of portraiture of Two-Face where it's the one face and the other, and it's that, you know, just, again, classic antique-looking side-by-side. Yeah, I want these both. I want them in a circular frame, and I will convince my boyfriend to put them over our mantle. Kendra, what do you think? Y'all are going to think I'm so petty for this, but these should be added to the rewards of DC Universe. <laughs> <laughs> Second yes! Yeah. <laughs> I'm DC, still bitter. If you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> right, Brad, DC, if you're listening. 
that is something that I think should happen because that would replace my action figures. But that's okay. I love these. Any, like you said, Kelly, anything to do with Taz is already it, it, it's already a, a, it's going to be a bestseller. I mean, it's nostalgia. It's the history of Batman. It's one of the great times in animation. I mean, and these are gorgeous. I mean, getting a heads and a tail side. I mean, above the mantle when you're feeling a little bit moody. I mean, wherever you want to look at these. I mean, it's just it's beautiful artwork. So, I mean, I'm not saying take my money because I, I'm going to follow Seth's advice and raise my white flag. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to beg pretty please to put it in the DC rewards for DC Universe because I think that that would be fair since you took away the sculptures. Seth, what about you? I think it's only fair. And, it is. Uh, you know. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say, you know, DC, listen to the seriousness in our voice. We're not messing around. Okay, enough of that. Um, when it comes to these posters, they're stunning. Um, and they're, ooh, so evil in that there's an image on both sides. So if you want the two side by side, it's not 70 bucks for the one. It's 140 for the two. If you want to hang them side by side, right, over the mantle, the fireplace, you know, maybe with American Gothic in the middle, although who you would choose to be the couple in American Gothic would be a really awesome commission. So choose wisely. Um, right now, I'm suddenly picturing uh, Batman and Alfred with Alfred holding the pitchfork. But that's my own take on American <laughs> Gothic. I leave you to yours. I'm not here to influence. The biggest problem that I had when I was reading this story was the fact that these came out on Friday. So we're a day late. And there was only 225. So I'm pretty sure they're gone. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man. Uh, now they're going to be like $400 on eBay. And yeah. at some point, you know, God knows whatever it is that leads to late night shopping on eBay. But if it happens and it could happen and if it does, please fear for my life. Because if I'm concerned about some <clears throat> action figures, let's use the term, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the ruckus they might cause, well, yeah, the $400 or maybe 800 if I had to get both, uh, decision on my part could lead to me sleeping in a garage or in a backyard or in a street. Um, so with all of that in mind, I, I'm almost thankful that they're probably and most likely sold out and that I can breathe a small sigh. But it's really a short-lived one because then I'll see them on eBay and then... Well, it's only a matter of time before the darkness overtakes all. So what can we do? <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's Batman the Animated Series, and they're beautiful pictures. So I have some hope here, right? You're not laughing at me. You're laughing with me. You're in the same place, right? That, that's what that was? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the website seeing if they've launched. So, yes, I'm in the same place. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's kind of like, you know, a recent idea expressed in Doom Patrol with the scants, but we, we, we could be at some risk here. We could make some ill-informed decisions. Brad, I now pass to you, Michael. I, uh, I hate it when something like this comes up when Steve's not on, because I think he would have some great opinions on this poster as well. Agreed. But, yeah, um, man, yeah, it it is... 
nice to look at. Um, and yeah, the whole over the mantle thing, you know. And let's face it, you can't just have one. You're going to have to get both. You can't. Like, Thank you. Without I'm the not other one, it doesn't on make that. sense. So <laughs> you can't. So it's not even an That's issue of getting thing. the one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, these are just. Um, and uh, I think a lot of fans of the animated series are at that age now where they are thinking about things like decorating houses and stuff. So I think that this is uh, perfect for, for them and, and new fans as well. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, they're, it's beautiful. Um, And maybe something will happen where they'll want to print more, but uh, you know, with Mondo, it's hard to say, but yeah, this is, this is great. And uh, good luck if you're trying to find it on eBay. So let us know how that goes. And that wraps up another uh, exciting episode of the DC Comics News uh, podcast. Uh, Just so everybody knows, DC Comics News is now uh, on all major podcast platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. So head over, uh, like, and subscribe, and follow our other shows as well, Uh, I Am The Night and Spinnerack and Mad Love. And as far as my uh, host, uh, Kelly, where can people find you? You can find me on our other podcast, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. Um, You can find me doing opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News. And you can also find me on Twitter at Kel Gaines Wright. Kendra? Uh, I can be found doing uh, reviews and news articles for Dark Knight News, as well as Fantastic Universes, writing whatever calls to me that day. And I can also be contacted on Twitter at DevourAllWords. Seth, where can they find you? Well, for the moment, they're going to find me staring at eBay, where I have to tell you that I found the poster. It's already listed at $300 low-end oh starting Oh, my gosh. Point. Yeah, so <laughs> I... I thought I would just cue everyone into that really quick. Um, but when I'm not here staring at that or considering perhaps a negotiation on my soul for the fact that I was only $100 off on pricing, which is terrifying and means I should be on the prices right. I'm also going to say that you can find me at DC Comics News writing reviews. Uh, you can find me here with these amazing, amazing co-hosts on the DC Comics Weekly Podcast, or DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. Um, You can catch us on Mad Love. Um, You can catch me at Spinner Rack. You can catch me on Twitter as one more singleton. Instagram is set the writer. Bruno and Fiji are my dogs. That's enough about me. Brad, my good friend. Uh, You can find me uh, writing news and reviews, DC Comics News. I can find me on the Mad Love Podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, FlickyB1. Uh, and you can follow DC Comics News on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube uh, at DC Comics News. And we always like to uh, finish an episode by saying a familiar phrase, and that is to read more comics. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>